JV Knowledge Podcast Network. On episode 76 of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about converging construct tech and InsureTech for work comp with Peter Grant from SafeSite. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JV Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. Man, oh man. Another day, another week. We're in February 2022. Of course, two days ago was my favorite holiday of the year. It's not Christmas. It's not Valentine's Day. It's not birthday. It's Groundhog Day. That's right. Groundhog Day was February 2nd. I commemorated it by, uh, you know, eating a fine meal and watching one of the greatest films to ever grace the silver screen. That is right. Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Uh, big Bill Murray fan myself. Uh, big Bill Murray fan. Uh, love Groundhog Day. Another Bill Murray movie I love, Rob Galbraith. What about Bob? Remember that? Remember that, that instant? Oh, my like, gosh. Oh, That's a deep cut. Oh, that instant <laughs> classic that was What About Bob? Baby steps to the elevator. Baby steps to the door. Uh, you know, Bill Murray's classic in many regards. Of course, of the Ghostbusters legend. And uh, the new Ghostbusters movie is pretty decent, too. Of course, Bill Murray made, made a cameo in that. Uh, he's still out causing trouble. He's a good bit older now. But uh, love me some Groundhog Day. But we're not talking about that today. We're actually having on a guy that I've had on my other podcast, Content Crew, that I've talked to before. I've referred to him as the Hugh Jackman of construction tech. But he's he's just as equally involved in insure tech. He... He tried to make his way in Australia and realized very quickly that the uh, the land of opportunity and free enterprise was actually over here across the pond a little bit. So he 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 wove his way over from Australia to the to America, the land of milk and honey. Peter Grant, how's it going, Peter? Great, thanks, James. What an introduction! It's uh, fantastic to be here on uh, the second podcast uh, of the JB Knowledge um, yeah, Network. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, excellent to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to, glad to have you. We're going to talk all about the convergence of insure tech and construct tech. Uh, how you guys started with a construct tech product on environmental health and safety, and then you actually moved into uh, building a, a, an MGA uh, that that provides work comp tied to the technology, and that's that's going to be a really great. Uh, conversation. Of course, with me, my illustrious co-host, the most interesting man in insurance, my fellow Texagander. He loves Texas and Michigan like I do. Rob Galbraith. Rob, how's it going? It's going well, James. Uh, as we're recording this, we kind of in the deep freeze here in Texas. <laughs> Nothing like most parts of the country dealing with severe winter weather, but uh, we have had two snow days with no snow here in San Antonio. So kids are home. They're loving it. They are wanting the snow, um, you know, Meetings, Zoom meeting fatigue still goes on for those of us uh, in the working world. But uh, yeah, kids are happy. They may be happy. Mine are home yesterday and today. Totally pointless. The roads are completely dry. There's no, there's, there might be like a little six inch patch of ice somewhere on a road somewhere that somebody's tire slipped on for a microsecond. But other than that, it's fine. But no, we can't go to school. That's okay. That's all right. I'm in the office. I'm in the studio here uh, in beautiful downtown, historic downtown Bryan, Texas, right next to College Station, the, the heart of Aggieland, home of Texas A&M University, one of my favorite places on earth. Uh, not my only favorite place. Though. Of course, I love Peter's home territory, Australia. When I when I first landed there, and you know, I didn't make my way to Australia until a couple of years ago. Uh, I've been obsessed with Australia my entire life. Um, and uh, when I when I when I got outside the airport uh, in uh, in Bris Vegas and in Sydney, I, I knelt on the ground and got on my knees and kissed. I literally no, it was just Bris Vegas, not Sydney. In, in Bris Vegas, Bris Brisbane. I knelt on the ground and I kissed the grass and I said, I'm finally here. Uh, it's I'm a, home. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> you know, I have a nickname. I'll go ahead and tell my podcast listeners I have an Australian nickname. Peter, have I ever told you my Australian nickname? I haven't heard it, James. What is it? Uh, it is Motto. M-A-R-T-O. Motto. Makes total sense for a guy named James Benham, right? <laughs> 
totally. Yeah, motto. I'm in a CEO forum. I'm I'm a, a member of a, a couple of CEO networks, and I'm in a forum uh, of other software as a service CEOs. And three of my forum mates are Australian. So of course everybody had to get an Australian nickname. I jumped at mine. I've I've for many years have had an Australian alter ego, Shane Martin, who uh, sings karaoke only in Australian. And Shane's favorite, I mean, and I mean favorite song to sing, is Love Shack by the B-52s. Um, and uh, so because of that, because it's Shane Martin, I got nicknamed Motto uh, for my alter ego's last name. So go figure that story out, Peter. Uh, Motto checks out. Yeah, See? It's, it's all you need, and then that'll <laughs> stick with you for life. It's, you I know, know, I know. It's on your feet. It's how they refer the visa to visa into Australia. That'll be on the visa for sure. <laughs> no know. question. Like Australians, motto. Australians nickname everything, everything. They don't name anything what it actually is called. Fruits, vegetables, buildings, locations, people. Doesn't matter. You're going to get a nickname. Um, you know, Galbraith would be uh, maybe, maybe Gabby. Or uh, it's, it's not always Robbo. obvious yet. Yeah. Yeah, Ro- Robbo is yeah. the obvious one, but it. Yeah. It would most likely be something more obscure, um, you know, but but yeah, you never know. Never know. Um, don't forget out there in listener land that uh, you can subscribe to this podcast. If you're watching us on any of the video streaming locations like LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook or you're on Vimeo, you can subscribe to the audio podcast by texting geek out to six, six, eight, six, six. That's texting geek out to six, six, eight, six, six. Um, and of course, if you want to hit the, uh, the website up, it's insuretechgeek.com, but that's insuretech spelled the correct way. Insuretech spelled the same way insuretech connect spells it. That's I N S U R E T E C H insuretech. Peter, we have a bit of a dispute in the insuretech community over how to spell insuretech. Uh, I believe that our podcast and insuretech connect, which is the largest insuretech conference in the world, uh, have it correct. And they're spelling it with an E. Just putting it out there. Yeah, I've, we, I think we had a healthy debate about it internally. I I'm not even sure where we landed, such as the, um, yeah. I, I think the ongoing debate. But you're right. If, if you're setting the trend and you've got the, <laughs> the viewership and you've got the authority to, I think, stamp um, what you think is the right way to spell it. Yeah. Uh, but I will say this. Whenever you put it into a Word document or a Google Docs, it's still under, underlined with the red squiggle. So we need, to, we need to tell someone over at Google the right way to spell it. Then you will truly have the upper hand. It, you know, and that's really the, the key because it's not really about Webster's Dictionary anymore. It's about what the spelling autocorrects puts you as. You exactly, know? exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a mess. So with us, with us today is Peter Grant. He's CEO at SafeSight. He's also super involved in their sister company, Foresight, which is an MGA. We're going to talk about both Foresight and SafeSight today. He is Australian. He does live here in the United States. Um, and, uh, and before we talk about safe site and foresight, Peter, I just want to talk about you for our listeners here. Uh, you went to Somerset college, gold coast. Uh, you went to Griffith, um, for your bachelor in civil engineering, got a, got a degree in, in civil engineering and uh, business management. Um, you know, what, what, when you went to school, what, what attracted you to civil engineering and construction? What, what was it a family member in construction? Was it mom, a dad, an uncle? Uh, or did you just like the idea of it? I think the seed was planted in my mind probably when I was a, a young kid uh, playing with Legos uh, or Lego Lego bricks, I think is the official term. Um, and I would I would spend hours and hours and hours and hours playing with Legos. And my parents sort of said, oh, you know, you should get into construction or get into engineering. Um, and so that sort of thread, you know, it was either that or become an astronaut. Um, unfortunately, there wasn't a, a very direct pathway to becoming an astronaut as an Australian uh, back then. Maybe uh, isn't now, maybe it's improving. Uh, so when it, when it came to putting in my submissions for university, civil engineering was the top. I wanted to couple that with um, some business acumen as well. So hence the double degree. Um, and so really enjoyed my time civil engineering and learning about uh, structures, structural engineering and how the buildings and these monoliths that we see in these big cities, how they're all put together, you know, tunnels, all of these mega projects around the world. I think they're just fascinating. Um, and when 
after working in those industry or working in that industry for six, seven years, working on some massive projects, you know, commercial, uh, sorry, civil infrastructure projects, commercial projects. Um, it was, it was, it was great to see that um, the, the civil engineering mathematics and, and theories being put into practice out in the field um, and, and how those, those structures go from ideas uh, to pen and paper, to the calculations, to the, to the, um, factors of safety to then um, how, how you actually have to build this and actually how the builders have to be involved in the design process. And then ultimately the end of the day, when you cut the ribbon and you've got a massive structure that has been completed for the benefit of uh, so many people, whether it's public infrastructure or private companies, um, it's, I think that's just a fascinating part of society. And I, I've really enjoyed my time in the civil engineering world. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really amazing the size, scope, scale of projects now in civil engineering uh, you know, the size of the highways and tollways and dams and bridges. It just, it's really amazing. And, and you're really, you're truly transforming. I, I call it, you're, when you're in civil engineering, you're in the terraforming business, right? You're, yep. you're bending yep. the, the planet to your will. It's pretty amazing. Now, I'll say Lego is a critical background for many of us. I am a Lego fanatic. I kept every Lego set I've ever owned since I was five years old and all the instructions during COVID. I, uh, Spent I a, love it. Spent a good bit of time it. building out. That's my Lego. That's part of my Lego city. I uh, I reconstructed the entire Lego city in my uh, my home office. Lego got many of us in, interested in, uh, in in building. You worked as a graduate engineer and construction engineer for Leighton Contractors until 2014, and then something happened, and it triggered you to to found Safe Site. Um, what was that something? Sure. Yeah. Um... So unfortunately, I uh, had my best friend at the time passed away in a workplace accident, a tragedy, obviously, but, you know, a day doesn't go past, I don't think about Stu. Uh, and certainly, uh, you know, going through the stages of grief and certainly the frustration about, you know, why this completely preventable incident occurred in the first place was due to lack of safety standards and lack of compliance with those, those safety standards. So I, I knew through my civil engineering project management journey as well, that despite working at Leighton Contractors, tier one contractor in Australia, all the resources, you know, top, top resources that you could have in the industry, we still had pen and paper safety systems. We still had severe injuries and deaths within our, within our teams and within our business. Uh, and so combining those two I guess, seeds together with my understanding and passion uh, for what technology uh, was available and where technology trends were heading. Um, myself and my co-founders, Dave and Lee, put our heads together and said, well, look, what can we do that combines all three of these elements and, and do something that's really exciting and really forward thinking uh, for ourselves so that we can prevent injuries and deaths uh, in, in these high hazard workplaces and make sure that everyone gets home to their families and friends at the end of the day. And that, that was SafeSite. That's what emerged from that, that genesis. And what's SafeSite V1 was essentially a hazard uh, recording uh, communication and resolution tool. Uh, that's it. And we, you know, we, we, we felt that that alone could really move the needle on uh, compliance with hazards, compliance visibility, uh, hazard visibility, and ideally push down the amount of incidents that are occurring in these places. Awesome. And I, I know, Rob, you've got a great follow-up there on, uh, on, on SafeSide and its uh, sister company. Yeah, Peter, it's great to see you again. Um, well, I, I love, um, you know, that, that after this tragic um, occurrence um, that you guys, you know, really worked hard to do something about it, right? To not let that death be in vain. And, and I've met so many other um, founders in terms of wearables and others, right? Have, have similar stories. Um, so, you know, applaud you for your, your efforts uh, to make workplaces uh, safer for those individuals and certainly, right? Families, loved ones and others. We'd love to have you tell us a little bit more about the SafeSite uh, platform, you know, the type of data it captures, how it's used, and then, you know, one of the things I find interesting from my insurance background is that you really went beyond just being a, a SaaS technology company offering a, a, a platform uh, to help improve safety at construction sites and others, but you actually went the further step 
to create uh, your own MGA, which is Foresight, which is an insurance offering that leverages the insights that you get on the SafeSight platform. So we'd love to have you tell our listeners a little bit about um, how uh, Foresight came about to leverage the insights that you were learning from the SafeSight platform. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I know, you know, we've probably got, you know, 30 minutes on this podcast. I'm going to condense down probably seven or eight years of business development, um, you know, very windy road to get to where we are today um, and, and, you know, make it succinct. But, you know, your first question, what do we do at SafeSite? So we're not just a technology, um, right? Certainly the SafeSite mobile app uh, for use out in the fields uh, for com completing safety activities, completing safety compliance. Basically, a, a pop-up occurs that shows shows you exactly the safety initiatives that an individual or a team has to complete within that day or that week. So we try and make the user experience out in the field very easy for anyone to pick up a mobile phone and engage in their safety program. Um, it's really one of our underlying philosophies is that to move the needle on safety, you need everyone in your organization to engage. And the mo we develop the mobile app first, as I mentioned, and we, we, we make that the channel that everyone can engage in as little as five minutes per week. And if you can't, as an employee or as a supervisor or as a manager, um, allocate five minutes a week to your safety program, then you really have to reflect on how much you want your business to be sustainable. Um, we have the desktop portal, which aggregates all of that information for analytics and reporting purposes. You know, you can do your OSHA 300 log there. We just released a really cool feature, which is called campaigns. So if you come into us and say, I'm a, a roofing contractor in California, we will automatically populate a campaign for you and your teams out in the field. And that will have all of the relevant, uh, it will have meetings and inspection templates that are filled out on a cadence of your choosing, say weekly, um, that has uh, content that is relevant to the risks within your industry. Uh, so now no longer do you have to populate a system. We automatically do that for you um, as part of our service. Uh, and then, the third part, so that's the technology side of SafeSite, mobile app, desktop portal. And this, I can talk about the predictive analytics side of it. I can talk about, um, you know, a lot of the features there. But um, what's what's really cool about the service that we provide at SafeSite is what we call our safety success service. And so we partner companies with our safety success team. And this is a part. This is these are safety professionals that are also technologists. And so they are charged with helping a company go from zero to one when it comes to digitizing their safety program. We, we've brought on about 5,000 companies in the US onto the SafeSite platform. And they're, they're not just construction, the construction represents about 50% of our, our, our customer base at the moment, but the, the rest ranges from manufacturing, agriculture, logistics, and we've even got some pet shops there. We've got pasta farms, we've got book, book binding factories, all sorts of things. Um, we've seen a lot of different companies and organization structures and, and, and management structures. So it's really, we, we get in there and we, we understand what the company wants to get out of SafeSite. We help them review their loss history and their, and their claims history and say, from an industry level, here's what you should be targeting. But from your, your experience, here's what you should be targeting. And we make sure that the campaigns that are baked into the SafeSite system um, are appropriately targeting those risks. And we get the right people involved at the right time uh, during the right uh, workflows and activities out in the field uh, in the safety program. And we provide all of the onboarding support, all of the training, um, regular check-ins against the expectations. And so call it hand-holding, um, call it what you will, but we make, it's we obviously have a vested interest um, from a SaaS side and from a Foresight side um, that every uh, customer or policyholder is fully engaged in the SafeSite platform and we remove or any hurdles or reduce the friction as much as possible for these companies to get um, engaged. So that's sort of a high level of the summary, uh, a summary of the, the services that we provide. So we, you know, if, if I'm, I'm winding clock back six, seven, uh, five, six years ago, we, we knew that, you know, digitizing safety workflows, it's not exactly um, rocket science. It's, it's not exactly um, a unique thought, right? So there's certainly a landscape within the marketplace. Um, of companies digitizing safety workflows. Um, and to a certain extent, I believe that a lot of the workflows will be commoditized. Um, you know, we have some strategic initiatives around, I mentioned campaigns. Uh, we, we're, we're less focused now on compliance. We're more focused on behavior modification and micro touches rather than your traditional OSHA based workflows. Uh, and that's how we differentiate ourselves from a product point of view. But if we looked at the business model, it essentially is a race to the bottom when you commoditized, um, you're dealing with a commoditized product. 
we always knew that um, through our case studies uh, that we had the ability uh, to reduce incident frequency within our customer set. And we knew that with our predictive analytics uh, and our data capture and the way that we score companies that we could had, have the ability to predict loss outcomes. And so we started really galvanizing around the ability to reduce loss, the ability to predict it. And we knew if we did that well, the insurance industry would inherently find that valuable and we can build a business model around that. We have what's called the safe site score. And I would say that is the glue that binds the two businesses together. Um, safe site and foresight are symbiotic uh, in nature, um, but the glue that binds at the safe site score, every activity, every action that is completed out in the field or not completed out in the fields within safe site uh, contributes to the safe site score. We capture about 80 data points at the moment. Um, that's obviously increasing. Uh, and every data point has an impact on the safe site score. And think of it as your risk, uh, sorry, your credit score or your Moody's score for safety. Uh, and it is a letter grade. It's A, B, C, or D, and plus or minus. Um, and that gives us an indication of how engaged that company is in uh, their safety program um, and how well they're, they're executing on their program. And it is all leading indicators. So, for example, if you have an incident or a claim that doesn't reduce your score, what will reduce your score is the response to that incident. So if you don't respond correctly and try and mitigate that claim from happening again, then your score will go down. Um, so we put a lot of effort and a lot of thought into the safe site score because we knew that that was an essential uh, differentiator for us and a way to, for us to sort of uh, crutch the, the impact that we have uh, and use it as a translation tool for underwriters in the uh, workers' comp space. So we obviously explored a few different business models uh, within the insurance side of things. We, we, we ran a brokerage uh, for two or three years. Uh, we brokered about uh, $6 million of workers' comp premiums. Uh, we uh, uh, had some partnerships with some um, service contracts with some um, insurance carriers, and that was great. But again, we felt that because we were able to move the needle on incident frequency, we wanted to share in the upside that we're able to deliver. Uh, and so, there are incredible barriers to entry to becoming um, uh, and be, to, to becoming an underwriter. So I will correct you, we're not an MGA, we are an MGU. Um, subtle distinction there that uh, um, I'll clarify. We do the underwriting in-house um, and we found because of the safe site score and the advantage we have with that, we felt it's super important that we do the underwriting in-house and develop that uh, competency and capability. Uh, and the value proposition that we bring uh, to the workers' comp space uh, is that if you, every policyholder um, gets the safe site technology and services for free, it's mandatory to engage in the safe site technology and services. Uh, but if you do engage and you get a high safe site score, that will immediately translate uh, to reduction in your workers' compensation premiums. And so for the first time, uh, we're able to basically put the power to drive down insurance costs back into the hands of the employers. And when you click those incentive structures together, business owners or CFOs or whoever's um, you know, signing the workers' compensation insurance contracts, uh, if they have the ability to drive down those contracts by getting their teams more engaged in safety, that's a top-down incentive structure. And we have the bottom-up technology for the teams to be able to engage in safety. Um, and we have now this symbiotic relationship where safe site's free, we don't need to make money from SafeSite. We make money from profiting off the underwriting. Um, and we launched Foresight in October of last uh, of 2020. Um, we, at times gone so fast during COVID, we launched it in October of 2020. Um, we've had an insane amount of growth. We started in six states in the Southwest. Um, as soon as we're, we're not direct to market, we, we go through broker channels. We have an insane, had an insane response from those brokers saying, this is an amazing product. And it allows them to differentiate their services for their clients. Um, and we've seen incredible growth. We recently closed our Series B funding round off the back of that growth, uh, $39, $39 million um, coming into our Topco. Um, it's investing both in SafeSite and Foresight. And so it's fair to say that we're going to be continuing to invest in our expansion of the Foresight program and the technology that delivers the value within that program. Do you end up with an adverse selection problem? You're doing something unique. So many people have talked about premium reductions in exchange for use of technology. You're actually doing it. So you're, you're literally lowering premium in exchange for using 
uh, and, and you know good use of the of the software. But you're also non. You're, uh, from what from what I understand, and this is just from the conversation we just had. It sounds like you're going to non-renew someone who doesn't use your software. Like they have to use SafeSite, and if they don't use it, then you'll non-renew them. Because of the the nature of this, are you ending up with a bit of an adverse selection prob problem where you're, the majority of customers you're getting are those who cannot get uh, affordable premium from mainline work comp carriers, and so they're they're going to you because they've been either non-renewed or quoted out of the market elsewhere, and so you actually end up with the worst risks, and then you, you've, you've got the most work to do to get them up to speed? No, I, would, I wouldn't say that. I can see where you, why you may be thinking that, um, but certainly we win a lot of business uh, on an underwriting appetite and com competition basis up front. Not every single, when, when, when we're writing policies, um, not every policyholder has already had experience with SafeSite, so we have to basically assume uh, or go, go through our un standard underwriting practices when we do underwrite them. But there is, because we do an aggressive screening process, because there is the expectation of engagements, so because we know the impact on an aggregate that SafeSite will have, underwriting takes into account the expected uh, lift that SafeSite will bring to their safety program and reduction in loss ratio. So we, we can get competitive and win, we do win a lot of business away from incumbent carriers because we can be very competitive on price upfront, regardless of their, their existing engagement in safety, safe side or any other technology. If businesses have had bad loss experience and they do get kicked out of other um, carriers, non-renewed, we do see that as an opportunity. Obviously, we're not, we, we, we don't just take them without having a closer look, but if there's, um, if there's a trend or a history of um, bad incidents, that's obviously a red flag. But if they've had one or two um, serious incidents uh, and they've addressed those and, you know, they might have happened two years ago because it's one or two years ago. But as you know, with a mod, it, it sort of hangs around for two, three, uh, sorry, before three to four years. We actually like customers uh, or policyholders that have a mod uh, between, you know, 1.2 to 1.7 because they have felt the pain of not investing in safety. They want to get that mod down. They need help getting that mod down and they're willing to invest their time and energy into doing that. And so we're there with all of the solutions for them to be able to. We expect to end up with actually a, um, a cohort of policies or a book of policies that actually starts over time to skew to the right in terms of performance, as in um, better performing because we will be accepting, but then flushing out companies that don't adopt and engage in the safety program. By, by the nature of how um, sticky the safe site solution is and how, um, how fantastic, frankly, the solution is in operating the, the safety program, it, does, it, it is sticky um, for clients. And so there is a friction to move away and a cost to move away from foresight because they will lose the, lose the safe site technology and services. So, we expect the, the book to continuously improve in terms of loss performance and quality over time. You also, uh, look, lifelong technologist, right? Been writing software. Sure. I've, I've been in this business 21 years now. Uh, I love a good problem, right? I mean, it, you know, if you have a higher mod rate, uh, yeah, a lot more opportunity to improve. It's hard to take like A plus, a, an, an A player and take them to A plus. Uh, it, it's, it's really interesting to take a B player and get them to uh, get them to an A, right? And that's really yeah. where you can do is you can help move maybe a B minus player to A or A plus uh, because they've never tried using standardized systems and processes, never taking consultative approach. So I, I like what you're talking about with with you know your journeys where you're. Uh, I'm sorry, did you call it journey or path? Uh, Cam campaigns. Uh, campaigns. I'm campaigns. sorry. Yeah, campaign. Yeah. Yep. I, I apologize. So you, you can take your campaigns, and it, you know, it is a campaign. Like, what's the outcome? It's really starting yeah. old Simon Sinek. Start with the end in mind, right? Like, you're, you're saying, here's the, the end result we want. We're not just going to do these five software tasks because that's what you're supposed to do. We're going to do it because we want to impact the outcome, right? That's, that's exciting. Rob? I want to ask a quick clarifying question. So I, I've had the privilege of actually seeing a demo of the SafeSite technology and I uh, was very, very impressed um, with all the things. I, I know for our, our listeners and our viewers, right, we're unable to do that demo, but you know, I can kind of personally test, you know, being very, very impressed with what, you know, you and the, the, the entire team there have developed. Um, so my clarifying question is, you mentioned Foresight is the MGU. In order to get access to the SafeSite technology, people have to become a customer of Foresight. Is that correct? 
we we still have our product on the market, so it's a freemium product. You can go down download SafeSite for free now and start using it. Um, you can even pay for the premium level, which gives you access to some more advanced analytics. What you won't get um, on the open market uh, or the SaaS product is the safety success service. We do apply that to some enterprise contracts, but we we usually invest that service primarily in the the foresight side of the business. And obviously there's an upsell, right? Um, if companies are engaged in SafeSite, they have a good SafeSite score. We say, hey, you're a perfect um, candidate for the Foresight program. Tell your broker about Foresight. You mentioned, obviously we've talked about construction, but you mentioned several other industries as well. Um, and yeah. so who do you think are the, the, I guess, ideal customers? Is it that high hazard industry that maybe is paying quite a bit from a work comp or, or might be, uh, looked on different from traditional carriers where because of the insights you're able to glean uh, from the, the uh, safe site platform and the scoring um, yeah. that you're able to possibly, you know, save them quite a bit of money as well as uh, improve their risk profile over time? Yeah, it's a good question, right? There's a number of different ways to slice and dice the market, right? Um, but from a technology point of view, the safe site platform works you know, it can be one individual contractor just completing their uh, actions in the field. We, the system is built to be able to be handling multi-region, multi-division. Um, it is incredibly stratified and there's a lot of hierarchy that you can bring into the SafeSite platform. So we have companies with 2000 employees on there and companies with one user. So in terms of the, the scale of business, um, it can, it can, you know, it's very adaptable, but obviously up top end of town, that's longer sales cycle, higher expectation, um, in, uh, I guess, integrations, customizations, and that's not our business. We're not, again, we're not trying to make money out of customizing SafeSite for large companies or large GCs. Um, so in terms of um, wh where we focus, it really is middle market, right? And I, I, in insurance term, I'm hoping all the listeners are fully um, understanding. Um, well, even with insurance, there's different definitions of it, right? And so. We say um, anyone with 20 to 200 employees is sort of well within our ballpark. We do have some lower risk class codes that have 2000 employees that are, are on foresight and safe site. Um, but I would say they're on the lower hazard, obviously their mod, uh, sorry, their, their, their rate is a lot lower in terms of their premium. You know, we can talk about um, industries or we can talk about segments of the market, but I, I really think when it comes down to the profile, and we sort of touched on this before, you know, just then, James, it's, we're, we're looking for companies that really want to improve. You know, they, they have a pain point, they're paying too much for workers' comp, or they want to improve their safety um, because uh, they, they know and they understand that it helps them become a more sustainable business, helps them grow their business. And so as, as when we're explaining the, the Foresight program to brokers and, to their, and explain it to their clients, we make sure that they fully understand that, you know, this program isn't for everyone. We're going to help you go from zero to one. And if you're not willing to come on that journey, then, you know, you're not suitable for us. Uh, and that's fine as well. But you, you, for those companies that do understand that, have the pain point or the willingness, they're perfect. And that just happens to be in the middle market because no one has really come to the middle market from a product perspective. I mean, you look at incumbent carriers, so sure, they have, uh, risk management teams, fantastic men and women out there helping um, these companies to improve their safety. But sending a PDF of an inspection um, or, you know, showing up once once or twice a year to um, consult or review um, safe, uh, the project company operations in, in terms of safety, that's old school, right? The, the safe site technology delivers so much more value. It's essentially a new paradigm of value that we're able to deliver instantly and real time to every single one of these policyholders at scale and economically. Um, so for the first time we're doing, we're providing all of this tremendous value to brokers and the middle market uh, that has never been seen before. So that's, you know, fair to say that's our middle, that's our target market. And in, within that space, obviously, you know, we're high hazard industries again. So it's, we're not, we're not, we're not doing anything, you know, we're not doing retail, for example, because their workers comp costs are relatively low. We're not going to have a big impact with a safety program on, you know, probably strains, um, paper cuts, things like that. Um, but where we do have the biggest impact is those high hazard industries where they do have a high focus on safety. They do have high insurance premiums in terms of their, their turnover.
it's interesting to me that the role of the technology is almost intrinsic and in, in at the fabric level of this entire effort. Um, whereas, you know, Peter, when, when you and I spoke years ago, we, when we first mm -hmm. met, it was, it was all about being a SaaS company and it was all about, you know, licensing an app, <laughs> you know, and now it's about something yeah. completely different, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's been a, a really big evolution. Now, we've seen the, the same thing from many, uh, many insurtechs uh, evolving from developing tooling for risk management to really uh, competing in the market, uh, literally creating new markets. It's starting out either as MGAs or, in your case, an MGU, um, and, and then in some cases going as far as to raise capital and become a carrier and get licensed or, or you know, buy, a, buy somebody's paper and, and acquire their way into the carrier yeah. market. It's, uh, it's just really fascinating to me that technology is still intrinsic to this, right? Because you're, you're able to substantially mitigate risk by knowing what's going on, but also you're able to modify behavior and enforce mm -hmm. and encourage good practices through technology. You're using the technology as a, both a consulting tool and as a risk mitigator. We call it SafeSide as a platform, right? The, and the, the toughest thing as a startup, right, is having all of these fantastic ideas. It's one thing to say that we want to be all-encompassing safety platform. It's one thing to say we want to have predictive analytics. It's one thing to say we want to underwrite, right? But where do you invest your time and money and energy and in what sequence? And knowing what we do know now, we probably could have um, shortened this eight-year journey down to four years yeah. Four or five years, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe three years ago, the industry wasn't ready. We've got very forward-thinking partners on the insurance side that really believe in not just what we're doing now, but the potential of the platform, right? Yeah. And the technology that we're delivering, right? There's so much more optimization that we can provide internally within SafeSite and our safety success process in terms of productizing that. But we also, we're a platform, right? We, we plan to integrate with other IoT and wearable companies and give them a way to tap into the insurance um, value proposition as well. So you got, um, I saw Kinetic Insurance um, launched, I think a, 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 about a month or two ago. Really cool product, really cool that they're, they've been able to build an insurance product around that. Um, it's, it's, it's great to see that the industry is really thinking about this InsureTech 2.0, where you're not just trying to optimize the, the the acquisition of accounts you're not trying to go to direct to market it's not a cac game it's 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 really a value driven game and a loss improvement game and someone like kinetic someone like SafeSide are really focused on that and it, it is through technology and as you know james the the industries that we're working with have been so technology resistant you've been beating the drum now for as long as i've known you and surely much longer and Still, there's you know forty to sixty percent of companies in our target market that are not digitizing their safety program. It's madness. Yeah, it, um, but, it is madness. Yeah, but they, but Peter, they, they understand comp because they got to pay their work comp bill. They understand comp, yeah. and if they can say, whoa, 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 wait, you mean I can get a better initial rate and then I can get even better on renewal if I just yeah. if I just use this app and oh, the app's free, even though really it's baked into premium and you know you're you're paying for the technology through your premium. Um, it, yeah. that, that's an argument that you'll win probably 10 times more often than the, than, Hey, buy this app because it makes you safer. You're saying, Hey, oh, yeah. buy this insurance because our technology and our process and our people make you safer. That's a lot easier argument to win with a contractor. I mean, they hate spending money on technology still after all these years. And, it's, and Peter, it's been, get this, I started speaking about this and really pushing this part, this topic in, in 2006. So it's been, it's been, yeah, it's been 16 years of beating on this drum. They hate spending money on tech, man. Uh, they hate it. Yeah. But, but yep. it's a lot easier to, to explain it to them in insurance and risk management terms. We're removing the, the, the cognitive and financial dissonance between invest, like investing in safety workflows and the impact it has on your bottom line as a business. It's, it's been so hard to really attribute those. It's like, why am I doing this? OSHA inspection on a weekly basis like it's just like why am I doing it it's just a pencil whipping but now because and now because of the way that we're using the technology to bind them together the safe site score our underwriting model it's 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 really resonating and it's really the I, we talk about incentive structures they're all aligned but this like 
this is sort of just the beginning. We, we see us as, as much as you've been a pioneer, James, in, you know, getting technology adoption out in the field, we're, we're essentially pioneers in designing and developing and promoting uh, these types of programs to the industry, both on the insurance and the broker side and on the, on the, on the industry side, because they're not used to it. Um, they're still thinking, a lot of them are thinking the old ways. It's like, give me the lowest price, give me the lowest price, I'm not, talk, I'm not talking to you. But the smart brokers and the forward thinking brokers, our top tier brokers, really get the amount of value that this provides. And they're, they're so excited to give us their best accounts and work with us to get their best accounts, the best value possible, because they know that those accounts will invest in safety. Yep. Um, but there's so many cool levers and strings we're, we're gonna be able to pull in terms of pricing. Different states and different regulators obviously have different opportunity for programs that we can design and push out there. So really cool things that um, we're working on in terms of uh, pricing and pricing models and how the score can impact the, the policy holder in a lot more shorter cycles. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm excited to hear about that. I know Rob is too, but we do have to wrap our conversation and move to talking about a little bit of insure tech news. Rob, I know you've got a couple of articles that came up this week. I do, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just want to uh, congratulate Peter on his Series B raise. As, uh, that was announced a couple of weeks ago, so folks can go check that out, uh, of course, and see about their uh, uh, what they're going to do with the money uh, as well. So uh, really looking forward to kind of your growth and expansion, Peter. Uh, two interesting news articles for me this week. Uh, one is uh, from Coverager, our friends over there. Uh, saying that the challenger bank Monzo, which is really big in the UK, and for a lot of my my uh, friends over across the pond, as they say, really talk about Monzo and, and Sterling Bank and others. So they're officially live in the US. And it's been an interesting time. You know, when we talk about fintech and, and they're a little bit ahead of insurtech and the you know digital banking space and a lot of open banking regulations have led to some of these what are known as you know challenger banks or, 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 or neo banks. Um, and they were, you know, really popular uh, for the first few years, but they've actually had a little bit of a, a tough run uh, lately. It talked about in 2020, the valuation for Monzo dropped from uh, 2 billion pounds to just uh, 1.25 billion pounds and had to lay off employees. And I know we talked about, you know, for instance, Root recently having to do this, uh, but they recently got a fresh uh, round of funding from the Abu Dhabi Growth Fund. Uh, that put their valuation at $4.5 billion. And so they have over $5 million customers in the, the UK. So they're coming here to the US. And it's interesting timing as well, because uh, the Allianz-backed uh, Challenger Bank in 26 actually announced uh, last month that they are leaving the US uh, market. So kind of an interesting uh, company to, to kind of watch here in the US and see if uh, Monzo is able to take hold or not. Yeah, it's not it's not always e it's not automatic and it's not always easy, is it? I think they're facing an uphill battle for sure. Uh, now, we are seeing kind of a reduction in a lot of community banks, right? Uh, the biggest banks are, are continuing to get bigger. So uh, they seem to be swimming a bit against the tide here in the States. But uh, we'll see if they can have the success here and lasting success that they're trying to achieve in the UK. And then the other one is a little bit more kind of bread and butter insurance uh, article that uh, Allstate announced uh, that their Q4 results dropped or Q4 profit dropped 50%. Uh, and I found it really interesting. So we know that a lot of companies uh, saw a massive decrease in driving following the pandemic, everybody staying at home rather than driving into the office. And you know, a lot of them even gave refunds or, or, or rebates or dividends back to consumers to kind of uh, rebate that. Um, so we're seeing an increase in driving activity, but um, Allstate noted that it's actually less about an increase in frequency, though some of that, but actually a lot more about increase in severity. And they acknowledge that there's actually a lot less driving during rush hour, right? That kind of office commute that many of us had done uh, but they're saying that now there's more open roads, people are driving faster yeah, and they're causing more severe collisions. And that's catching them both on the, 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 the property damage side, as well as the, uh, um, you know, the injury side. So I thought that was uh, quite fascinating. They mentioned, you know, rates are, are going up. Obviously there's inflation with used car prices, uh, parts, you name it, that are affecting the, the, the overall economy as well. So uh, it's been a tough time for personal auto for quite some time. And, um, you know, we had a little bit of a reprieve there, I guess, with the pandemic, but overall it's been difficult to make money in the segment for a number of years. Yes. Uh, yes, yes, yes. And I, I wondered at the time if they were being a bit premature in issuing, uh, rebates, refunds, and, uh, 
I was like, are you sure you want to do this quite now? I, I felt like it was kind of like an overreaction, and we saw one carrier do it, and then, then you know, two, three, and four followed. And I was like, man, this is uh, this seems grossly premature uh, because when I was out driving, uh, which was one of my few escapes from the house was to go on a drive at the time, I just saw a bunch of nutty behavior, and, and that's the same thing. We've been talking about the increase in severity for a little bit. Uh, people just are being a little more risky. Now, maybe it's a, a fait accompli. Maybe it's a, a, a carpe diem, seize the day, or it's it's a fatalist perspective. But, uh, you know, people are feeling a little more risky, a little, a little more frisky and risky. Um, I had two news articles. Um, one one that, that I've done business with, Coalition, uh, fantastic cyber uh, security insure tech that has bundled, uh, very, very similar to what Peter's doing, they have bundled their insurance product with a suite of cybersecurity tools. Um, they have launched uh, some more product uh, backed by Zurich North America. They're now offering directors and officers and employment practices liability. Uh, of course, along with the insurance came a suite of new tools and features um, to, uh, to all their broker partners and their clients that came along with us. And I can tell you, Coalition does a pretty amazing job of, um, of providing uh, a really effective, good tooling to their clients and encouraging them to use it along with their insurance. So, Peter, uh, I don't know if you've uh, if you use Coalition or if you've seen them, but it's a pretty nice uh, package of product and insurance. Everything I've heard, it's um, not a, you know it's a great product um, and uh, obviously totally um, in full support of uh, deploying service and technologies that allow them to get more confident in underwriting and then drive down pricing. I, I still think cybersecurity is, I, I, I don't know how they go to sleep at night knowing the potential downside, but obviously they've come to terms with that and their, their investors have too. Um, but really, really well done to the coalition team. And um, because I'm a pet fanatic, I'm a dog fanatic, I have 10 animals in my house, three of whom are dogs, the other of whom are furry little creatures mainly. Uh, you know, chinchillas, guinea pigs, hedgehogs, rabbits. Uh, the rabbits are jerks, by the way, but uh, everybody else is pretty cool. <laughs> The chinchillas are the funniest and the most mischievous. The hedgehog is the, the most shy and private. Imagine that. Um, but uh, Revolut, R-E-V-O-L-U-T. And again, this is from FinTech Global. Revolut dips his paw into pet insurance. Uh, they entered the insure tech market through the launch of a pet insurance product, uh, which is, uh, you know, yet again, something interesting. It's going to be available in the United Kingdom so our British listeners can get it. You can manage everything related to the pet insurance in one place. Make a claim, view policy documents, access vet support. If you're uh, using the solution, you can pick a monthly subscription, um, and it, they'll provide up to 10,000 pounds a year in annual vet fee coverage. Uh, they are not fixed price. The cost will depend on age, gender, breed, location, but uh, pretty neat uh, insure tech product for those of you who want to manage the cost of all of your animals. Um, I, I would be interested in how they view volume discounts because, uh, Peter, you're going to laugh at this. Um, I am getting pressured by the blonde mafia in my house to get a wallaby. Now, wallaby. I don't know what, I don't know what the laws are about having uh, oh, a national you animal. Do, dude, you can do anything in Texas. Um, yeah, you're right. You can have a. <laughs> so you, Target King. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So you can do that in Texas, but female wallabies are actually quite small, and uh, and they are routinely house pets. Uh, yeah. t tell me about the wallaby. Is this is this an animal that's gonna you know box me and then slice my stomach open like a male kangaroo? No, I mean wall wallabies. Wallabies are cute as hell. Um, as you say, you you need to distinguish wallabies for the listeners who don't know. They're essentially a, a, a small, probably a third to to half the size of the full, full-grown red kangaroo, um, as you say, James. Like, well, when I was growing up, we actually nursed them. There'd be bushfires, or there'd be their mothers uh, run over by cars, and we'd actually nurse wallabies back to health. You know, they'd hop around the house. You'd put a diaper on them, um, but they'd hop around the house. You, you, as tempting it is, as it is, you shouldn't put your like your tools and your, your your wallet and your things in their pouch because obviously that's you know, a hygiene situation for the wallaby, but apart from, so you might need to um, tape it up for the sake of the kids. Yeah, they're, they're cute as hell. They, um, they're, they're really nice temperament. And if they've been uh, house trained, you can, you can really enjoy it. I'd be interested to see the di dynamic that it has with the chinchilla. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, 
does the South American chinchilla get along with the Australian wallaby? Uh, exactly. Th- this will most likely be an experiment that will be, be run in the Benham household in the near future because I am being severely outvoted on this particular issue. Yep. Um, you should you should call Pixar because I, I feel like um, that combination of animals is a Pixar movie waiting to happen. <laughs> it totally is, man. It is a Pixar yeah. movie waiting to happen. I tell you what. Uh, yeah, they're... They're pretty cool. We went and hung out with some wallabies uh, at a exotic game ranch here in Texas, and of course, everybody was like, "Oh, we have to have a wallaby." I'm like, you have ten animals. You don't hang out with half of them. Like, don't, <laughs> like, like, no, no, no. But uh, I, I think long term, like many battles, most battles, I'm going to lose this one. The question is, how do they, how do they uh, fare on small airplanes? Of course, uh, being a pilot, I always worry if the if the animal will do well. The cool thing about wallabies and kangaroos is if you have a pouch and you offer it to them, they will literally jump and claw right in and just go to sleep. <laughs> and then you just zip the pouch up and you're done. Yeah. Uh, it's, it is, uh, they, they, even when they're adults, like they, 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 they understand the pouch concept, don't they, Peter? Something uh, primitive in their DNA, but yeah, they see a pouch, they love a good nap in a little pouch, a little <laughs> hidey hole. It's uh, secure from the world. Anything could be all... Everything could be going on. Hell could be raining down, but if there's a little pouch, they'll jump in there and they'll be they'll go straight to sleep instantly. I, I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. I, 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 while we <laughs> saw a pouch and went whoop, and jumped right in and then flipped upside down. It's yeah. it's awesome. Well, Peter, man, you're a you're a gentleman and you are a, an inspiration in construct tech and insure tech. Um, a big shout out to your co-founders if you want to name them. I just want to show throw a shout out to them. Yeah, Dave Fontaine heads up uh, the Foresight uh, insurance arm. Uh, Leah Pell, our CTO, um, you know, we've, we've been in this journey together. And, uh, you know, shout out to all of the team uh, teams at SafeSight and Foresight. Uh, we've grown incredibly rapidly over this last year. We're all remote um, and everyone's done a really good job at um, managing uh, the chaos and uh, getting the company swimming in the right direction. It's, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's very exciting over here. Yeah, well, we're we're excited to have you on the show, uh, Rob. Any closing comments? Just echo what you said, Peter. You know, I've been privileged enough to have some touch points uh, along your journey, and so just uh, continue to, um, you know, applaud your success. And I love, you know, I, I James, you kind of talked touched on this, but we're seeing a lot more in this trend of, you know, we were using the pet analogy, right? You know, eating your own dog food, right, so to speak, to say, hey, I have a technology that I think can improve risk and exposure and lower losses. Um, and I'm going to prove it by having an insurance part of that equation. So kind of mixing almost insurance as a feature, right? Uh, but designing a broader product offering around that that's a little bit more holistic. And that's really tangible uh, for your customers. You know, we always say insurance is kind of a set it and forget it. And it's like, I buy it, but I hope I don't never have to use it. And I think that paradigm is absolutely shifting to where you know, folks like yourself and, and now we're seeing with other companies as well, really become trusted partners that have a many more touch points, uh, but it's much more tangible to your customers rather than that insurance policy that they filed away that they hope they never have to pull out to call the, uh, the 800 number on to file a claim in the future. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Rob. And thank you, Peter. And thank you out there in listener land for listening to yet another episode of the InsureTech Geek Podcast powered by JB Knowledge, jbknowledge.com. All about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham, jamesbenham.com. My co-host, Rob Galbraith, endofinsurance.com. Big thanks to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer, Kara Daltonaro, our creative producer. And thank you for joining us today. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next week.